and some will tell you there's no shortcut home, but you are in good hands for Canelo Triple G Fight Week as In This Corner with Brian Campbell returns to snatch up your free time and inject your inhibitions with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. We've got one heck of a show for you this week, setting the stage for that epic middleweight showdown from Las Vegas on Saturday. HBO pay-per-view, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, both BC and the Big Ginge will be on the ground in Vegas with full coverage. But along with our detailed preview of the fight this week, we had the chance to catch up with former junior middleweight title holder Austin Trout, who not only has history in big fights against Canelo himself, but he's on the verge of his own return in an October 14th title bout on show time against Jared Hurd that should be very interesting that's a junior middleweight triple header very good conversation with my man no doubt and before we get down to business and we tag in my better half let me remind you once more do us a solid spread that word on social media about the audio invasion use the hashtag in this corner hey you got 60 seconds to spare why don't you head on over to Apple podcast and subscribe rate review it'll help out the show more than you know, but now it's time to bring on world-renowned author, writer, editor, a man who knows that respect was made for box, and that cruising was made for box, but more on that later. Rafe Bartholomew, Big Red, are you ready for my man Canelo? Oloki, you are next, my friend. We're here, Rafe. It happened. It's going to happen. My man, you fired up. Let's do this. Campbell! You are now, my friend. Let's do this. Oh, I, I mean, I was born ready for this, Brian. I am, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 time. I don't know whether to use my lucky punch, my crazy punch, my drama punch. It's it's so much a punch. Uh, man, it's, uh, yeah, let's, it, it, it's, I mean, you know, I, I was early, early, early on the Golovkin uh, love train. I'm still there. And uh, this is it. This is the culmination. I, I, whether, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but... Man, this is this is this is amazing to watch it go from 2012 sitting at a picnic table, or at least it felt that way at a at a <laughs> casino in Verona, New York, the Great Turning Stone Casino, watching Golovkin bomb out good old Jagorz Froxa. He was like the all Polish the way to Sergio... this, fighting Canelo for in in a in a legit super fight. Wasn't Gregor's like the Polish Sergio Martinez? Like he had like a really funky style there that I liked for a while until didn't like Sergio Mora take his soul on Friday Night Fights like the next year after? Like come on, yeah. Uh, I mean, and he really, I mean, Jagor's really put up a hell of a effort against Golovkin. I mean, he landed a few of those real funky lefts uh, and he got knocked out about four times brutally and was still getting up. I mean, the, the referee was just holding, you know, had to had to hold him up the last time. He was still trying to to, to get up and keep fighting. Uh, that was quite a coming out party for Golovkin. And, and here we are now. Five years later, you just celebrated your anniversary of being at that fight of finding Golovkin. You know, everybody was like, I, I'm the one that found Jimi Hendrix in a, in a tiny club in New York City in 1964. No, Rafe found Golovkin in Turning Stone, and Golovkin found our hearts, and we finally get the money fight for him, the matchup, everything we've been waiting for. A lot more on that to come, Rafe, but we had to work into the beginning of this show a lot of weekend recap. We took last week off because of uh, some complications with that storm. Uh, uh, hopefully everybody out there has survived in advance uh, due to this Hurricane or Irma, which took over a lot of our lives this past weekend. But we are back with the Boxing Edition and a lot to recap, Rafe. Number one on my list of recaps was a card you intended in Carson, California. That was attended, not intended. It was the Superfly card, the triple header 
of super flyweight bouts. An HBO special, really, in the post-top rank era for HBO where we're trying to figure out how are they going to find compelling fights, right? Holy crap, this card was dramatic. It delivered action. Ray, from the StubHub Center, in the crowd there in the media section, an arena, an outdoor arena, which is known for bringing it. How would you describe the experience of this night? Well, it was, I mean, it was a great card. It was really, it wasn't the most packed I've ever seen the StubHub Center. I mean, there were some empty seats. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of the most electric as like when there's sort of a local, when they're really local guys there who are in fights. I mean, I, I actually did not get to see the, uh, the first Rio Salvarado fight there, but that was supposedly a madhouse. Uh, you know, certainly when Triple G made his West Coast debut and they really, they really, they sold the Mexican style angle as hard as they could. The Mexicans for Golovkin's shirt were out and that was the fight where Golovkin began his pre post fight interview with you know buenas noches muchachos you know I mean he was he, he really that 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 was a great atmosphere that was the by the this way is, that was the mountaintop moment of the triple g brand in terms of like uh, like us bowing down to it right like that was the peak right there I think so although in my I mean my I, I I peaked a little early with all I, I you might you could say that I I uh I may have shot the load early on on uh, Triple G. Fandom. Wait, hold on a second. Was, Did you say right shoot at the, the load? To, you know, take one round at a time, let him shoot his low, and then down the stretch, do what we do best. When did you think that the fight was starting to turn when he shot his load and you could come at him? When he, shot, he started shooting his low in the first... The first... Oh, so he, shoot, he was shooting his load. I was just making sure. I right was there. shooting my load pretty early over, over Triple G. I would say all the way back to Curtis Stevens or or even Gabriel the good boy Rosado. Um, you know, I mean, those... I, it didn't take much to get me, uh, get me horned over this. But, uh, yeah, I think... Public acceptance that the Lemieux the Lemieux win those were both sort of uh, next steps in the, the sort of coming out party for for Golovkin which we'll see if it, it continues on Saturday uh, but anyway this Saturday so this was great though in more of it was that hardcore boxing audience it was the people who follow the sport who love it who really you know the boxing heads the people who are on on Twitter uh, know the memes know the jokes are just in on everything and and you know just pumped to see Naya Inoue make his his U.S. debut. There was a great, you know, section of, of uh, Japanese fans, either from L.A. or some probably who came along uh, with Inoue for this fight to see his U.S. debut, uh, actually right next to the media section. So it was, you know, it's like they were just, even though that fight, and we'll, we can get into it, was, you know, about as one-sided as anything on this, well, maybe not quite as one-sided as anything on this card, but very one-sided. Uh, you know, every every shot that Inoue threw, you know, people were just losing their minds going, yes, yes! Hey, maybe Inoue had his uh. 2012 Proska turning stone moment there, but we'll get to that in a second. I want to go right off the top. Srisaget Sor Rungvisai. I may have said that correctly. I may not. You know, well, who knows? KO4 Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. The rematch, of course, of that March fight. We didn't get a chance to preview this last week, but that March fight is my fight of the year at this point. Brutal fight from the Garden. The rematch, Sorung Vasai defends his junior bantamweight title, but much more importantly, he seemed to end the the journey of Chocolatito, the, the myth, the aura, not myth, myth is sort of making it seem like it's not true, right? But like the aura, that spectacle, that run of the dominance of Chocolatito, if you didn't think it was ended in that first fight, a controversial decision, it ended in a big way. Rafe, wow, you don't see as definitive starts and finishes sometimes to, to, to certain eras or stretches. I mean, this was in your face, Chocolatito's gone, it's done. 
It is, I mean, and this is something I remember. We have our little uh, group chat, you know, on the side where we were sliding in each other's DMs. With, with Rasky, Eric Raskin, great oh, boxing. Yeah. Shouts writer. to Eric Raskin and the one and only James Foley, Folo Punch. You know, great podcast, Folo Punch, uh, great podcast. You know, but, um, but so, you know, around the second, somewhere maybe in the third round, you know, uh, around before the knockout came, I, I was sort of afraid to type it, but I, I, I remember in the group chat being like, is Roman washed? Which I mean, you know, that may be overstating. We can wow. get into that, but just wow. he looked. He, the, it wasn't just the knockouts, right? This wasn't just a flash knockout. This wasn't he got caught with something he didn't see coming. This was three rounds of basically an unrecognizable chocolatito, a guy who was really, you know, was complaining about the headbutts in a way that 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 didn't look good body language wise, like kind of like a just did not and 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 did, was not. Fighting, coming forward, throwing the combinations that you see, at least at the pace that we're used to seeing. He, of course, he landed gr- some great shots in that fight, um, but just, you know, looked like he just didn't look. He looked, it didn't look like himself. Looked a little bit like he didn't want to be there. And then when the end came, and uh, and and Rungvisai, you know, found him with those pair of right hooks. God, did he? It just looked, yeah. Well, that it was, was one of those things that the whole thing was like, oh, it's it's done, it's done, forget it. All right, we know smaller weight guys age much quicker, you know, than heavyweights or whatever. Roman Gonzalez only thirty. I think part of this, you you have to chalk it up to look. He constantly was moving up in weight, daring to be great, right? Moving up four different weight classes. He hit a limit where his power was not moving guys, despite the fact that compu box wise, holy crap, Chocolatito is averaging more power punches thrown and landed than any other fighter in the sport. His jab is one of the most brutal weapons statistically in the sport. But up at 115, it's not the same anymore. Also, like I mentioned, 30 years old. But there was a narrative that Jim Lampley and HBO kept hammering home. It felt like this was Raw or SmackDown on pro wrestling where they have like a pre-written angle that the announcers have to get over. It was like Lampley and Kellerman felt like they had to get over this idea that Chocolatito, by losing the first fight, which was controversial decision, I had of the draw, a lot of people had it, a comfortable Chocolatito win, that mentally he never got over it and he never got over the idea that somebody could take his punches and push him to that level and that he was mentally washed, not physically, but mentally washed entering that ring. I don't think it sounded like this. But that's what they were trying to put over. Did you feel or see that at all watching that fight up close? Well, I, I look, I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what it was that, that you know, makes may, that made this Chocolatito look different from everyone we have seen in the past, you know, five years. Um, you know, this version of him. Um, it, that what what you know, the idea that it was, you know, he had reached a ceiling and, and found, a you know, uh, a weight class where guys, you know, could take his punch and come right back at him and hurt him much worse than he hurt them, even while he's landing. That that makes some sense. You know, he also went through the 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 trauma of his, you know, lifelong trainer dying uh, and no longer having that him in the corner. Whatever it was, I I would say that there did seem to be a different mental approach or or, or look to him. You know, what he just. That's what I mean when I say he did not look himself. The aggression, the sort of the, the you know coming forward, uh, whether it was reaching a a level in terms of size where where he just couldn't fight the way he has his entire career anymore, and realizing that um, and, and be successful and at that same level, um, or it had to do with you know sort of 
getting his head back into the sport, coming off of, uh, you know, a, a debatable loss and the loss of his trainer. That, I mean, that obviously is something to take into account there. Uh, he looked like a different person, a different a guy yeah. who, who didn't fight with the, you know, the, the hunger, the, the desire, the sort of whatever you want to call it, however the... you want to describe it. He didn't look like the same guy. He looked, yeah, like he didn't really want to be there. After that round two final stand where he sort of like emptied what was left of the tank, it was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't think it would end like that, obviously, but I started to get that feeling like, you know, watching it on tape delay, already knowing that he lost, not knowing the specifics, I, w I was sort of like, okay, he's not, there's the passion, like you said, it wasn't there. Never would have guessed it ended like that, of course. But let's shoot down the sort of knee-jerk reactionary sort of takes that are kind of coming out on Twitter that, you know, he was never that good enough to begin with, and this sort of, you know, cemented that. Let's shoot that right down. Maybe he wasn't pound-for-pound pound number one as good, and I'm sure I just irritated the other half of the audience who were like, of course he was. It was kind of the perfect storm that the pound-for-pound pound king crown opened up for him, right? Mayweather retiring, Pacquiao losing and looking kind of washed against Floyd, you know, Ward having been inactive, that Gonzalez luckily was able to slide in those DMs and get his moment in the sun, get his U.S., not his U.S. debut, but his U.S. major television debut on HBO, get pushed as almost a featured HBO component. It was good to see him get that run, but you know what? He was great even before that, right? Like he, oh, yeah. This guy I, I mean, I think moving I think, up in yes, weight, destroying and there's a good people. chance that we saw we like the, those of us who aren't not like hardcores watch every flyweight fight, uh, you know, may not have seen when, you know, when he was fighting at 105, 108, some of some of what may have been real prime Chocolatito. You know, I mean, I think when he when I first started paying attention was that his great first fight with Juan Carlos Estrada. That All of a sudden, everyone's saying, oh, man, there's a fight on BNTV that you got to check out. And you're like, what the hell is BNTV? Uh, and and you sure and that wasn't there, a wealth you know, doubleheader. Was that a wealth TV or an AWE? Was that BNTV? I thought that was BN, BN Espanol. All I know, the, the, the announcement might have been wealth. I, mean, I, was... I always associate wealth with the greats like like uh, like uh, Frampton, Kiko Martinez, and That's those true. And those uh, unforgettable nights. The great um, boxing PR Philly-based guy Mark Abrams was on the call, but I'm sure you remember the uh, the part of that broadcast, meaning the Chocolatito Estrada fight that we should remember. Lara Holmes, the great Lara Holmes on color commentary, <laughs> basically spending the whole night yelling, "I called it! I know boxing! I know boxing!" That was very a very very memorable. Uh, that is true. I, that is, but so um, we you know. I mean, those of us who just started watching then may not have seen the very best version of Chocolatito. Um, and yeah, it was, look, in terms of shedding light on the lower weight classes, which are, as we saw on Saturday night, are full of exciting and great fighters. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I'm happy that he got that moment in the spotlight where for a year he basically was the consensus pound for pound uh, number one fighter in the sport, even if by the eye test, I don't know if I was ever convinced that this guy was a better, more talented fighter than some of the younger guys like Lomachenko and Crawford who didn't, who, who still don't have the resume to call themselves number one, or the older guys like Mayweather and Ward who were sort of in, in weird limbo, you know, realms in the sport where they, you know, whether it was business stuff or, you know, so-called retirements where you just didn't have anyone to give it to. I think it's good that he got it, even if on the merits, I mean, look, and I know that, you know, some of the great lovers of the smaller weight class, the guys who really know it well, the Doug Fishers and the Cliff Rolls might roll up on me and, and just, you know, kneecap me for saying this. I kind of look at on, on straight on the merits, his, his number one reign 
feels to me kind of like those David Robinson, Carl Malone, Steve Nash's second MVP seasons, those MVP seasons in the NBA when everyone gets tired of giving it to the guy who deserves it, to the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan, uh, and instead is like, well, we like this guy a lot, and he doesn't get enough credit, and he's great, and he's a Hall of Famer, so let's give it to him. That's kind of how I will think of the number one pound for pound reign of Chocolatito. You're talking now, specifically famous, about a great fighter, but that, you know, Hey, you're talking specifically about 1997 when the mailman uh, won it, when people were bored of Jordan and that was, but that wasn't nearly as egregious as when the mailman won the NBA MVP in the 99 lockout season, even though his points per game was down by like five and a half points. Do you remember that atrocity? I do not remember that at all. Who? I, <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> he he was only he was like thirty five at that point. He wins the MVP. Totally did not deserve it. Could have easily went to Duncan. Could have easily went to Grant Hill, who became a superstar that year. Could have went to Alonzo Mourning, who had the best year of his career. I'm still sore about this. I know people are like, hey, you know, they got bored of Jordan in 97. But look, Carl Malone was pretty nasty in 97. Charles Barkley was pretty nasty in 93 to take that vote away from Jordan. But I got an issues with 99, even though Jordan wasn't even there, you know. But so I didn't when – I, when I introduced this hot take, I did not know it was going to send you deep into the NBA. Oh, I, well, I've been waiting. I've been uh, waiting for and, somebody and, to ask me. alienate to... all of our dedicated boxing fan listeners. Look, let me bring it back. Um, you know, there's the other thing going on, I think, that went on a little bit with the smaller weight classes is there are these um, there are these guys, who, these writers and people in media who are known as the experts because they and they deserve it. They are the experts, the the Dougie Fishers, the Cliff Rolls, who really, you know, are, are, are paying attention to the smaller divisions and know it, I think, better than the rest of us in media. Uh, I, I don't mind saying that I certainly give them that credit, um, you know, and, they, and I think they've earned it. Um, but it does create an effect when they come out and say this is the guy because I haven't watched as much as much of them it kind of makes me just say all right well I'm gonna go with what they say because they know this stuff um but then you know you see but and it creates a sort of pylon where well we don't want to be saying the opposite of what the guys who know it say it's like if you ask me who's the best basketball player in the in Philippine history and I told you it's Bonel Balingit well no, no. J- you know, Jaworski come on bro you know, Jaworski. Well, look look Bonel Balingit anyone who actually knows who he is you know that that is a terrible that is not even close but I could just roll out a name and you'd probably go along with me because you're like well this is the guy he knows that stuff um hey bobby pacquiao had a sweeping hook bobby pacquiao come on he had, he, had... <laughs> he also was a great endorser of burlington socks all right all right there you go uh you you make a, a good point that it's sort of well look rafe i mean Boxing is one subjective and boxing is not like you have a full season of 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 like you know, it's not like it's the the, the season is, is, is so long where you get multi guys fight once or twice, three times a year, right? It's the same thing historically. We all say Sugar Ray Robinson is the best ever, right? Because we're supposed to. Guess what? Him at his best was at welterweight. Guess what? There's no footage available of him at welterweight. <laughs> so it's like, do we really know or we're just going I mean like it's it it is what it is. But I think the biggest thing against Chocolatito's reign was always like, okay, how good is this opposition at 108, at 112, at 115? I have to say, finally at 115, and this card showcased that, it finally looks like at the very least there's a fun group of opposition. Maybe long-term there's some great guys here. I kind of wish selfishly that this passing of the torch moment, and no disrespect to Sri Saket Sorungvisai, we had been wanting for so long, though, for Chocolatito to move up and finally face Naoa Inui and do this, like, Super Bowl of the smaller weight classes. I kind of wish that this handoff took place in that fight, though, that we had our Arguello prior one. But what we got instead was sort of Sorungvisai jumping in there and stealing it. What we don't know yet, Rafe, 
is how good this guy is. Two performances against Chuck Latino looked fantastic. But go back on this guy's box rec page. You're going to notice a couple of things. Number one, that his name apparently is Wisoxo Wangek on his box rec page, which Lampley talked about in the broadcast. What I don't understand this. Is this another Fasan 5K Fresh Mart situation? Number one, yeah. give me a quick answer on this. What What is this guy's name? Why are we calling him Sorung Visai if that's not well, his name? Look, I don't know what the what what uh, Sorung Visai sta- is is promoting in Thailand, but I, I did recently uh, some ended up reading this long article on like Asia boxing about why Thai fighters uh, name you know fight under sponsored names and it's basically a way of financing the sport out there it'd be like the, the tv money is not big the uh you know the gate money is not big so local fighters basically you know they will like like manny pacquiao covering his shorts in 15 million decals for extra money they do that and they'll actually just sell their entire name and and sort of right. to to in order to support the sport the sport it's right. interesting and that's how you get great guys like uh you know 5k battery exactly well number two you look at his resume on his box rec the last three opponents he fought before fighting Chuck Latino the first time, all three were making their pro debut. Rafe, the five opponents before those three fights, here is the record in order of those five opponents. 12 and 19, 3 and 5, 12, 10 and 2, 28, 22 and 3, and finally he fought a guy who was 21, 37 and 2. Those are not bingo numbers, Rafe, but I will do have one question for him. You... Against who? Against who? Against who? I know this guy fought Colorist Cardress a few years ago and lost, but like, who is this guy and where did he come from? Because after watching, if, if you, like me, if you hadn't watched any of his previous fights and you only watched the two Gonzalez fights, you know what your reaction is? Let me say first something. We have we have a new Manny Pacquiao. But then when you look at the box wreck, you're like Teddy Atlas. Who is this guy? He's tough as balls. I'll tell you that, Rafe. He wears high socks like Keith Van Horn, so I got to give him a high five. But he just walks into oncoming traffic and beats our number one pound for pound guy up. Is he really this good? I mean, we're probably going to find out soon. But what what indication do you get? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, the guy got to stay busy. You know, I mean, how busy does he want to be? He wants to be busy. busy yeah, um, busy, busy. Uh, but he, you know, there there are uh, so many fights available to him. I guess out there when he's when when he's not fighting on a larger stage, and he's just got to fight, you know, jobbers. Um, it's I, I don't know the Thai boxing scene well enough to, to sort of explain how that happens. He's clearly a very, very tough and strong 115 pound fighter. Right. I mean, he can take uh, he could take about 2000 of Chocolatito's punches <laughs> without, you know, showing anything. Uh, and he clearly had the power to, you know, knock down uh, Chocolatito in the first round of their first fight and, and hang in there when Chocolatito really put in the effort to try and beat him. Uh, and then. Coming in this second time, he fought. That was one thing that might have taken some of the uh, t- sort of driven home the message to Chocolatito that he he doesn't really belong at that at that weight with that kind of guy, uh, and and taking some of that mental whatever out of him that 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 Max and Lampley were looking at is that Sorungasai came into that fight and really was. You know, he took over for he he fought confidently. He just he he did not you know he did not fight like okay this guy is coming to get his revenge and I don't know if I can stop him. He fought like I took everything this guy has in the first fight and he didn't really hurt me. He may have outboxed me, but he didn't really hurt him. 
and I'm going to go in there and take it again and, wow. and, and bring it back to him. And that's basically what he did. And, uh, you know, he fought real confident. Like he knew that he could, that, that he was just too big and too strong for, for Chocolatito. Now, will that work against guys who look big and strong? Like Nayanue at that weight, like very I want to find out. I can't wait to will find that, out. Will that work against guys who are sharper boxers? I mean, Chocolatito is of course a sharper, but, but sharper and bigger and, and, and maybe a little more comfortable at that weight. Like Estrada looked, I mean, being able to put Quadras down, uh, you know, We'll see. I guess we will see. I do. I do. Uh, for the for the pound for pound heads, the people who really care about their pound for pound lists. Good luck dealing with this. I don't know how you drop some. You know how you deal with the guy who who KOs. You know just de- devastates someone who might have been in your top five and the bottom half of your top five was and just spent three years like you know near the top of the list. Good luck trying to figure that out. All right, we got to roll through the rest of the weekend. So let's do this. The previously mentioned twenty four year old Naiwa Inoue. 14-0, 12 KOs, makes his American D- TV debut finally. To put this guy in perspective, right, he had jumped on the scene out of nowhere, won two world titles and two weight classes within, what, his like first 10 fights. Badass Japanese with big-time power. TKO6 over Antonio Nieves to retain his junior bantamweight title. And holy crap, Rafe, people like Cliff Roll, the, all the insiders who love these small weight classes who will watch the grainy internet tapes. They've been talking about Inui for a while. I've seen some footage, right? I knew enough to know that this guy's pound-for-pound level. You watch him in this type of debut. Nasty. Every punch that landed had a pop to it, Rafe. Had a, like purpose to it he finally basically made uh nieves's corner throwing the towel and it just ended because of the beating he was taking the body work incredible if i was oscar i'm i'm tweeting out what a beauty hashtag body the whole fight uh yeah there's not a ton to say about this because it was it was just totally one-sided i mean uh nieves looked like he was just trying to survive for most of it and, and by the last round was just running in a circle and that's when when uh when Inouye was basically trying to taunt him to say, make something happen. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I want Inouye, he, he, he was pretty methodical in how he just, you know, followed, cut off the ring a little bit and broke down Nieves. Um, I wonder if he has quicker feet that he didn't need to show us in that, that he might need to use against a mover Good like Quadras or, or, you know, there's a lot... There's a lot more to see, and hopefully he gets right back into it with with other sort of world-class fighters at this level. Well, the third fight on this great triple header was Juan Francisco Estrada, the guy who pushed Chocolatito a few years back. We mentioned won a close decision over Carlos Quadras to become the mandatory for Sorung Visay and Rafe. This was 12 rounds of action. This was fun. Like, I could watch these. There was a chemistry between these two that was great to watch. I could watch him go 12 more right now. Unfortunately, the thing that came out of this fight in the end was Michael Buffer reading the decision. It kind of sounded like this. I think he read that Eric Estrada of Chips was the winner, and I don't want to pile on a great Hall of Famer like Michael Buffer, but that was a rough moment. It sounded at first like Quadras had won. In the end, Estrada gets a close decision. Were you happy with that? And who do you like sort of coming out of this division in the future now that Estrada seems to be set up to face Sorung Vasai? Uh, I... I, I think it was the I think it was the 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 actual decision, not the initial announced decision, uh, was right. I thought I, I had uh, Estrada winning the fight close. I think I had it uh, one fifteen, one twelve, so seven to five with knockdown. Um, he I thought it was really an impressive fight. I mean, you know, one yeah, the, it, every round had its own momentum swings, include and the entire fight. And Estrada started to turn it around the sixth or seventh round, just really you know, and and the the 
the way that he was able to stand in there when when Quadras would do his sort of he'll charge forward and throw like one two and then like if you don't throw back he'll do one two three more you know and and some of them are slappy some of them are strong you don't really know which one is the real punch in there um it took a lot of uh it took a lot of ball it took Mr. Ball style balls to stand his ground and for Estrada to basically throw that straight right back down the middle and catch Quadras and basically stop that from hurting it was great uh and uh <laughs> mr nuts I... <laughs> mr nuts that's who you were referencing mr i sorry apologies to mr nuts i meant mr ball uh, mr balls i meant oh man it's got to be your bull sometimes yeah, um, yeah look um i i think that uh estrada looked good it was a close fight um and uh if he fights sorung next that's a good fight if uh, i don't know inouye is, is sort of the question mark i think he's the best fighter on the card uh, personally, I just think it, the talent just jumps off of, jumps out of the ring, jumps off of the screen with him. Uh, Will he's big though? You know, I I, I don't know how long he's going to stick around at 115. In fact, after Chocolatito lost the first, or you know, lost in March, the, he had Manue had some quotes saying, "Well, then there's no point in me staying at 115 anymore because that was the fight." So I don't know if he actually, you know, hopefully he does stick around, um, but. I bet there are other, you know, I mean, if he can make it up to 122 and he wants to fight Mr. Guillermo Rigondeau, I'm in for that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Rafe. Let's get to the uh, part of the weekend recap that, that is going to please you the most. I got a little song. I don't know if you heard it before that we should play here. <laughs> Let's go. It's time to talk bucks with ya. Talk a little cruisers, brah. They're not quite heavy. You know they can box up if they can brawl, yeah. And when Richard Schaefer puts his cash down, all the cruisers come running. They don't care where the money comes from. Cause they respect bucks. Their respect box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cruising was made for box. Respect was made for box. I love it when we're cruising together. Oh, yeah, bring it. I love it when we're cruising together. Respect was made for box. Cruising was made for box. I love it when we're cruising together. Oh, yeah. We're bringing the ropes karaoke back on the scene in this corner style. Rafe, the World Boxing Super Series from Germany, the Cruiserweight Classic, as I like to call it, debuted Alexander Usyk, our guy, the WBO champion, unbeaten, 13-0, 11 KOs, TKO 10 to the great Captain Marco Hook. Pretty darn good scrap here. And Rafe, it kicked off your tournament. Usyk's going to advance now to face the winner on September 30th of WBC champ Maris Bredis against Mike Perez. Talk about that in a second. But holy cow, I've seen Usyk fights. I knew he was that good. But to see him put it together against a dangerous veteran like Hook, this got me excited for this tournament because, man, my man Usyk is good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I will, I'll be honest, and uh, I, I, again, in our little, in our little uh, private DMs, I, I, I called this my, uh, my annual 
definitely wrong, you know, JoJo Dan uh, upset pick of the year where I had been a little bit of an Usyk skeptic where, you know, I, I, I thought that he didn't, I, I thought that he didn't, his power didn't really seem to to do to back off Glowatsky very much. Some of the other guys he fought in between winning that title off Glowatsky uh, and this fight against Hook were, you know, decent opponents, but guys who had lost already, who, who I don't didn't seem like they were there to to really win, and he could have gotten them out quicker. Uh, but tricky opponents. Um, but this one, yeah, it looked like he put it together. And man, yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to uh, to renounce my former my my former self, you know. I mean, I I I'm I'm pretty hard. I'm I'm all in now. I mean, this guy, oh my God, the he has so many ways to win fights. What a great pair of wheels on that big man. God, I don't know. I mean, so when he fights the the punchers in this in this tournament, Effie has to fight Bradis if Bradis can beat Mike Perez. Effie has to fight Gassiev or or. Uh, the hammer himself, uh, Kudrashov, who probably won't make the final, but if he made it to the final, I feel like he could dance around those uh, the, the, those those big punchers, uh, and I feel like when he needs to, he can get a guy out of there too. I mean, he he's starting to show a full package. I think, wow, nice package. Right. Yeah. So you you, mm. uh, you said something really. I mean, he can box if he needs to, and when you have that out, it's like a big slugger who's like, well, you know, when in doubt, he can walk you down late and try to get you out of there. Usyk can can really just be slick if he's going to be in there against somebody dangerous. This guy was somebody dangerous in, in Hook, but I mean Usyk just dominated from the beginning. That reach, that defensive ability, the footwork, everything about him. I mean, if this guy ever moves up to heavy one day, he's going to have an elements to his skill set, almost like some Chris Bird type elements that we haven't seen at heavyweight in a while. I mean, this guy could be a problem, but forget that. Just in this cruiserweight division, he has to be your favorite right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I again early on, I was a skeptic. I was kind of higher on, you know, the, the you know our Cuban guy, uh, Junior Dorito Man Dorticos, or um, cool, or right. even Bradis, who I like a lot. Um, thought they had done more in the at the weight class, but man, uh, it's getting hard to it's getting a lot harder to hold on to that skepticism. Usyk looks better and better in each fight. Absolutely. Uh, now you got me dialed in. I want to see where this tournament goes. Interesting. HBO, get those semis, man. Get those semis, HBO. Come on, Richard Schaefer. Make that work. The other fight was Friday night, a showbox card. 20-year-old David Benavidez, the American from Arizona. Really fun fight. Split decision win over 12 rounds against Ronald Gavriel. Won a vacant WBC super middleweight title in Vegas. He becomes the youngest active world title holder. But, Frey, if I've been watching Benavides for a while, you remember that fight he had with Porky Medina on PBC a couple, what was it, last month? Our guy, uh, Sweet Baby Ray Flores, on the call. He had like a 17-punch combination to finish off Porky against the ropes. He's exciting. He's big for that division at 68. Well, he just went in there and really a 12-round brawl against Gavriel and looked pretty darn good. You, you into this guy? Uh, I don't know if he looked great in this fight, but he's looked great in the past. He's young. You know, let's see. I don't know. He, uh, he's. I, I thought it was a, li a little bit dirty the way that they uh, they uh, they got that. What is that? The WBC belt he won. Yeah, that that is that. I mean, it's always that, that WBC passed over Callum Smith because Callum entered the. Uh, oh, the let's not the bring fairness classic, into this. You know, a jump, you know, strapping strapping guys up for no reason. I mean, you know, there's. We'll see. Let, let let's see some more fights. Uh, there's not a whole lot. It's slim picking. So get him in there with my man Zerto the Turtle Ramirez, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see who's 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 really packing what all right fair enough on that let's talk to a guy who's uh who's been around the horn a, a true veteran here austin
Austin Trout Rafe. We've seen him in there against Canelo in the past. We'll ask him about that. He will return Austin Trout October 14th on Showtime in Brooklyn to challenge IBF champion Jarrett Hurd in a junior middleweight triple header. Interested to hear what this man has to say about moving forward. Let's hear from him. Enjoy. Pleased to welcome in my man, junior middleweight contender, former champion, Austin No Doubt Trout. Austin, great to have you on the In This Corner podcast on CBS Sports. I've always said, when, when fans ask me, who's, who's your favorite guys to interview in boxing? I always say, my man Tim Bradley, Vladimir Klitschko, because he, he cares so much about every answer, and No Doubt Trout, because you bring it. So great to have you back on the pod. I interviewed you back in the day many times on ESPN. You're preparing for this return in October, long layoff. How's everything been going for you, man? Everything's great. Everything's great. First of all, thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure being on the show. Um, and wow, what an honor to be amongst those three names of, of your favorites to interview. That's a boxing royalty right there, my, my man, no doubt, Trout, right there. <laughs> your next fight is going to be October 14th. Really good-looking junior middleweight triple header on Showtime, Barclays Center in Brooklyn. You'll be challenging IBF champ Jarrett Swift Hurd. Before we talk about Hurd in this matchup, 17-month layoff for you, coming off that loss to, to Jermall Charlo, really good fight. Why this long of a layoff, and, and what did you sort of learn during this process? Well, learned a lot about myself for one, and and as for why, I couldn't tell you. You know, I was healthy. Yeah, I had no issues politically, uh, management-wise. You know, I know I know a lot of times lawsuits and things like that could keep a guy out. That was not my case. That there was no reason or issue for it. So it was real frustrating for not being able to fight for so long, especially at coming off of a, a, a hell of a performance as I did against Charlo. And then especially, especially after Charlo comes back and, uh, you know, destroys Julian Williams within rounds, which, which in my opinion, you know, made my stock rise higher because I was in Charlo's ass pause for, you know, the whole 12 rounds. So um, a lot of frustration, but that it also helped me to learn about patience, uh, faith. Um, you know, you know, when you struggle, you end up, learning a lot about yourself and the ones around you and those lessons really are priceless. Austin, you, you brought up uh, Julian Williams, J-Rock. Uh, you know, when before he fought uh, Char before he fought and lost to Charlo, I remember he was kind of, you know, talking a little bit about you on Twitter saying, you know, he wanted, he was looking towards a fight with you. Um, you know, that was there ever talk about you guys fighting, you know, with him coming off the loss uh, in, you know, between no. then and now and sort of how, did it fall mm -hmm. apart or what happened? No, you know, there's really no talk to, uh, at all <laughs> before, after, during, you know, there's really never been any, any talk. Actually, the only time there was talk was when the winner had to fight J-Rock between me and Charlo. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I came on the other side of the fence for that one and Charlo went on to fight and, and destroy the boy. So, a lot of times, what I feel like is, is I don't think he ever gave the credit where credit was due, whereas he's like, okay, Austin is a lot tougher than I thought. You know what I mean? He just kind of showed up and he just went about his business. But it's not like mm -hmm. we have to talk about each other until it's time to talk about each other. We're not in each other's way right now. Mm -hmm. When you look back at that fight against Jamal Charlo, May 2016, 
really good close fight, 12-round decision. The score is 116-112 on two cards, 115-113. You had a real big second-half surge where you really put the young Charlo on the ropes. I almost felt like that's as good as you can feel in a loss. You know, I don't know if you believe in anything like moral victories, but, like, you went in there against a young, hungry lion who's proved, you know, again after that fight how much better he can even look, and you really, you know, put him on the brink, tested as far as I've seen. What do you take from your performance in that fight? Do you take some sort of, you know, moral victory, some type of edge that you you, you grew from that loss, that you elevated yourself? Well, you know, I mean, the confidence was, I'm still hurt about the loss, to be honest, because I feel like I'm better than these guys. And, and just, you know, it's just it's right there. I'm not going to get these closest instead of just being barely better. Um, but I did, it's the confidence did grow, especially after seeing his, his outing in his next fight. You know, like, well, you know, I do have a chin. I, mean, I am tough. I am strong, too. I was able to, you know, push the big guy back a few times. But I just have to take all those, you know, lessons and not not dwell on the past in a sense, but learn from it and move forward. So it, it it's a blessing to have this fight come up. You know, my very next fight's another undefeated guy for the IBF, who's big for the junior middleweight division. You know, so I better get it right this time, which which I will. I already got it down. That's good to hear. I, I want to ask one more question about the uh, the Charlo fight, Austin, which is basically when you you know when you really came on strong in the second half of the fight, you you dialed in that your lead left hand. Uh, was there something you saw earlier in the fight? Was there an adjustment you made? What you know, sort of you know, how did you sort of you know, how did you just get that so effective toward going down the, the stretch of that fight? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, honestly, I've always been a slow starter, and you know, I get that fill out. But I took too long in that fight, and I think that was my biggest downfall. Um, but when I came back, I think around the fifth or sixth round, there was a couple of exchanges where I stayed in, you know, and ended up winning those exchanges and pushed them back. And then I came back to the corner, and uh, Barry was like, man, you can beat this man inside and out. You know, and whereas I was weary about, about his power because he is a big, strong dude. Don't get me wrong. Um, it wasn't – there was a difference on the punches, you could see. You know, when I hit him as opposed to him hitting me, you could see there's a difference. But at the same time, you know, I wasn't never rocked in the fight, and and I was right there with him. And so when I figured out that you know I can I can exchange with this guy, that's kind of when I was able to step it up and, and put more pressure. When you look ahead at this matchup to to Jared Hurd, you mentioned Swift, one of the larger 154s. I mean, he's coming off really a breakthrough performance to win that vacant IBF belt when he knocked out Tony Harrison earlier this year. How do you sort of look at the, this matchup? It, it sort of has the same narrative, if you will, of a, of a young puncher on the way up. You're the guy still in his prime, the wily, crafty veteran. Do you sort of see it similar to the, to the way that Charlo Bart looked on paper? Yeah, it's, it's, almost, it's almost the same thing. I'm sitting there thinking like I've been here before. <laughs> so, um, but but like, like I said before, I don't want to dwell on the past and, and act like this is that because, you know, this is two different guys. Similar, but two very different guys. So we're just taking everything that we can take to learn and, and grow from the past fight and apply it to this fight. But but you're not 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 sit there and expect the same thing. It's definitely the same outcome is not happening. When you look at uh, you know, you're 31 now. How much does yeah. 
being a veteran and being wily and, and being smarter, how much does that change your approach when you step in between when you step between the ropes compared to the guy from twenty twelve and the in the big victory over Miguel Cotto? How different are you these days because of that? Because of that experience? Well, I mean, that's kinda of always been my approach. I've been a defensive fighter and I, I I credit that to my longevity. I'm not beat up like most guys. <laughs> Last night was the first time I've ever been cut, you know, thank the most high. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking that same approach, but, you know, this time, back in 2012, I always felt another safety, you know. I always, for some reason, I would go in people's backyards and still get, you know, the right decision that I was, that I worked for. Uh, you know, necessarily, I don't feel so protected anymore, which means I got to take it into my own hands. I mean, not look for a knockout, but definitely, Make it where the the public can out can call for the robbery if it's, if they still don't give me the decision I deserve. Right. Um. And sort of going back to that idea of experience, Austin. Um. I. You know how big of a advantage do you consider the fact that you know you've really fought all of the the best fighters at you know at 154 pounds over the last five years from you know Cotto to Canelo, Lara, Charlo, all those guys. You you have real you know, elite big fight experience and you've won at that level. Whereas, you know, Hurd is still, is coming up, really hasn't fought. I, Tony Harrison's talented guy, but, you know, it's not fought on the same level as you have. You know, how 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 is that going to manifest itself in this fight? Hey, you know, I think the experience might be the the deciding factor. But honestly, I think there's things I do better than that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have some physical attributes myself along with my mind that, that'll make me victorious. But if everything was, 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 you know, neck and neck, the experience, I think, would be what takes over. I don't think he's even gone 12 rounds before, or 10 at that. So, we'll, you know, we'll see uh, We'll see how he's able to adjust. Because I'm going to be pulling all kinds of tricks. Well, we're going to ask you a, a question. You're not a guy who lives in the past, but we certainly want to ask you questions about the past, about your big moments. There's a question, Austin. This may make you laugh. It may make you cringe. It's going to depend upon your response that I've wanted to ask you for years. We know your biggest win, the, the big breakthrough win, was December 2012 against Miguel Cotto. There's a preview video, though, on YouTube for that fight in which you appeared on a show that was called The Bath Staff. And to let the, the, the oh, listeners know, you entered a hot tub with like, three or four women and for like 27 minutes broke down the fight. And it was actually like educated conversations about the fight in a hot tub shirtless. What the heck's going on here, man? You got to take me back. Take me back in the time machine. How does this happen? Where is this filmed? Uh, what is going on here? Yeah, man. So my sister wanted to start her own YouTube show, her and her friends and... Yeah, you know, you, you you can't pick your family. You do what you can for them. So that's why I was in that town. It was it was weird. People's seats were like tangled up. I didn't like, you know, I'm not a big foot person at all. So. <laughs> but I, you know, it, again, it was a it was a it was a good conversation. We just needed a better setting, in my opinion. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I give you a lot of credit for for being willing, being able to, you know. Sit there with a straight face while while the ladies were asking you questions about, you know, uh, who you whose bathwater you'd want to drink, what kind of. I mean, it is it is a it's it is a classic yeah, uh, boxing interview of its own kind. And we don't mean to bring it out, Austin. If this is a a skeleton in the closet, has anyone ever referenced this before? Is this like the the hidden relic? You know, if you're no, gonna... you know, I'm 
I'm a, I'm an open book for the most part, and um, I mean I did it, so <laughs> ain't no going back. <laughs> I mean, can you? I, I can't think of another fighter who has been on uh, the bath staff and say yes to the dress. I mean, that's kind of like right. you know, you got the more. Different. <laughs> the best the best it's trivia hilarious. questions are about you somehow. <laughs> hilarious. hilarious. That fight set up what we what we mentioned was your biggest win. When you look back on that, I'm I'm sure it still tastes sweet. What's the biggest takeaway you look at from that achievement, from that fight? Being in Madison Square Garden of all places, you went into Cotto's backyard when nobody could do that and you scored a victory there. What what's your biggest memory of that? You know, just being just when I first got in the ring and you know Despite you know sixteen thousand booing Puerto Ricans, you know, I saw my name up there on on the some of the the ticker. You know, Austin Trout from Las Cruces, New Mexico, champion. Because you know a lot of people think that he was a champ, but I was a champ. And uh, that moment too, you know, I always kind of go back and look at that and say, you know, let's, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that moment. And you know, when I when they announced my name and that I won. Yeah, that was great too. But it's like that moment when I got into the ring, it was like, oh, you made it, kid. Now go beat his ass. When they snap out of it, he's about to try to whoop you. He's going to try and knock you out, boy. <laughs> I don't think yeah. people remember that there was such a really good back and forth in the middle of that fight. I mean, I, I was ringside and watching, and it's, it's one of my sort of sleeper favorite fights that I've covered. And that Kodo really looked to empty the tank a bit in those middle rounds. And you did something, you know, you're known as a defensive boxer, but you stood your ground and fought with him. Did you, did you know that you were going to have to go to that point to win that fight? Yeah, well, you know, he he was smaller than me, and I was like, man, let's let's test his tank. Um, and I didn't think they were going to give me a decision, so I felt like I was going to have to fight his ass, too, for sure. You know, just boxing is good and all, but he, we got to make sure we win this convincingly. And so when he tried to step on the gas, I had to step on the gas as well. Yeah. And, and I wonder, you know, I mean, this is, you know, looking forward to the fight with, with Hurd in October. Uh, you're, you know, it's going to be your first fight back in New York uh, since the Cotto fight. Uh, is that something, uh, you know, I guess like that you've had some of these other fights, you know, Canelo, uh, Charlo, where you felt like the, the decision could have gone either way and it didn't go to you. Uh Miguel Cotto was the one where kind of everyone, I remember I was covering that fight live too, and everybody sitting around there is thinking, oh no, are they going to rob this guy? You know, this is, this is the garden. This is Miguel Cotto. Yeah. And then it didn't happen. Do you, does that, you know, do you feel like you have good, good vibes going back to New York that if it does go to a decision, you know, there's not going to be, you're going to, it's going to be fair to you. Well, I sure hope so. I mean, just, just for, for the record, I did have another fight in New York, but you know, it was against Laura. It was probably uh, one of the worst. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Oof. So we're going back to Barclay in, in a sense to kind of erase the bad memory and, and rewrite a better one. So that way, you know, New York is is, uh, is a good taste in my mouth again. Sure enough, sure enough. You you obviously had the, the big showdown with Canelo Alvarez in 2013 in San Antonio. He's entering this weekend, of course, into the big one with Gennady Golovkin. Can you give us sort of the first-hand take? Because, I mean, I've said this to you before. I thought you beat Canelo. I know there's a portion of the population that agrees with me. I didn't think you got the credit on the scorecards for what you did those first four rounds, let's say. You know, jabbing to the body, keeping him away at distance. I do want to add this one thing. I've never seen someone 
accept defeat as gracious as you did? I mean, I felt like you would have had the room if you wanted to come out and talk about the judges in that post-fight interview. You didn't mention them. And the reason why we bring up the judges is that was open scoring that night. You knew you were down eight to nothing on one of the three cards, which is just absurd. When you look back on that, though, what did you learn about fighting Canelo? How, how difficult is he? How, you know, what, what's it like going in there against him? As, as far as I'm concerned, he had everything, everything stacked in his favor from literally the judges. It was, it was supposed to be split to, you know, uh, WBC and WBA because it was a unification. They had three WBC judges and gave me the referee, Lawrence Cole, who is a WBA and WBC official. So I had one guy on the judge panel, Christian Dulu, who also gave me the worst score of them all. And then I had the referee who doubled up. And so he had two judges on the panel for the WBC. And then he also had this open scoring nonsense face. The only time I've ever seen that was against uh, Danny Garcia and uh, Marisha Herrera, which was another robbery. And, um, I mean, everything stacked up, and still and still with all that said and done, I still don't think he beat me. You know what I mean? Like, I give Charlo all the credit because he didn't have all that in his favor. He just came and he beat me on, on fair grounds. You know what I mean? I have a small argument to say I won that fight, but it's not – I mean, it was either way. I watched it numerous times. And, and again, I mean, he did this thing. So even with all that said, but he couldn't beat or barely beat me at that. And um, I love him crack at him under you know fair ground. But with with all of that said, I didn't think I was gonna beat Triple G. How come? Well, one Triple G's age. Who knows when he's gonna get old on us? And he's been doing it for a long time. Um, not necessarily professionally, but boxing just period. Uh, two. Triple G's power does not carry over in the later rounds. And, and, and I mean, come on, you think they can give Triple G a, a decision in Vegas? That's something with that, that you know, Rafe and I have talked about a lot. It's like, I don't think you, Laura had come out and said it. You can't win a decision oh, against Canelo in Vegas. I don't think you can win one against him in Texas or any other state. It's just sort of the way yeah. it is right now. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. So, hey, he's going to have to knock Canelo out. And if Canelo gets past you know six, six rounds, Triple G's powers definitely uh, definitely goes down. And the last but not least is rare when you have a younger guy that has the better experience. Triple G thinks he's a, they think he's a you know killer, but because he's been fighting people you're supposed to kill. You know, and just like Canelo at one point was just fighting people you're supposed to kill, and then you know he stepped it up, stepped it up. And he's got some good names in his belt, better names than than, than Triple G. What did you think about that Jacobs fight in terms of the idea that, like, a little bit of the myth, you know, maybe, like, G- Triple G was yeah. humanized by that performance? What was your take on that? Big time. That's why I'm really thinking Canelo's going to win, because I thought Danny Jacobs won that fight. Even though he got dropped, I thought he had put up enough points in the tank, in the bank, especially in the later rounds, to, to beat uh, Golovkin. Final wrap-up here with you uh, in terms of looking ahead to Canelo Triple G. You were able to do some things to Canelo that people weren't, haven't been able to. And obviously, Canelo's grown. That, that fight was four years ago. What were you able to do that maybe Triple G can consider doing in, in terms from the boxing standpoint to, to get one up in this fight? You know, like, 
you know, like being touched with the body. You know, I wish I went to the body more. But that's uh, one thing I mean, Triple G should work on is his body shots. Um, you know, Canelo has decent footwork, but he's not as strong going backwards as he is forwards. So if Triple G can push him back, you know, he'll, he'll decrease his, uh, his power tremendously, I think. Chulo, you're embarrassing. Ah, that's my dog. I'm at the vet. Making an appearance. Well, you'll be back October 14th against Jared Hurd. On the way out here, Austin, if you get a victory here, if you pick up that IBF belt, where does this put you back in the mix at 154 when you take a look at the division as a whole? Man, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm the man. I'd be two-time world champion, you know, looking to unify because I will be on top of this class. Watch. And it really is wide open. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good guys there. Larger fights, but there's not that one guy that's gonna move it up. So why not be me? I'm the best best one out of out of all of them anyway. Hey, and you know who has a belt at 54, right? Kodo. Kodo's got a belt exactly. at 54. I'm not trying to matchmake for you. WBL. But you could and tell Kodo would be glad to unify. Yeah, that WBL should be mine anyway. There he is. Austin, no doubt try. We look forward to the comeback. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, my man. Many thanks to our guest, Austin Trout. Rafe, there's not much more to say now other than to get right into Saturday's fight, right? From Las Vegas, uh, HBO pay-per-view, Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin took a long time for us to get here. Excited to finally get here after the two-year build and preview this and say that the time is now, Rafe. Forget Mayweather-McGregor, right? This is our fight. This is the fight. Is there any, uh, just to jump right in here, is there anything about this build in terms of the timing? Is this perfect timing in the end? It's like, we didn't, we don't like marination, but yet I feel like this fight right now is bigger than it could have been if it took place a year ago, if it took place 18 months ago, right? I mean, is, what do you, where, where are you sitting on sort of where we're at in this fight coming off this weekend? I don't know. I'm not, that's not, I, I, I don't love to put myself in, in the promoter's shoes that way because more often than not, they're not actually trying to do the best competitive thing. You know, they're just trying to make the most money for themselves, hopefully also for their fighters, but that's not necessarily always the case. Um, I don't it, like maybe it marinated. Well, there's the most interest. It looks more most competitive now compared to in years past. On the other hand, if they had made it last year when there was already quite a lot of demand, uh, they may not have had, you know, a lot of the media, you know, sort of plucked out, dragged out from under them. Thanks to, uh, you know, Mayweather McGregor. So it's a lot of, you know, you can't, you can't really, you can't really prove the, you can't, you can't prove a counter positive, right? So who knows? Uh, I'm glad they're doing it. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's respect box. The only sort of part about that buildup that could affect the fight is the idea of, you know, did Canelo wait Triple G out a little bit extra? Now 35, now coming off the most human he's ever looked in a fight in March, outpointing Daniel Jacobs. I know we've talked about that in the past on here, but that's that that plays into the into the idea of of how this fight plays out or, or what we're going to see. Because Rafe, I, I noticed something. Every fighter in the world who has been interviewed to ask their prediction about this fight is suddenly picking Canelo, it seems, like every single one across the board. I think we understand that a year ago, if this fight went off, 80% of us are picking Triple G by knockout. So maybe we're falling victim now to a combination, Triple G looking a little bit human against Danny Jacobs, with Canelo having improved. But is there something that we are generally missing, why so many quote-unquote experts in the business are suddenly picking Canelo? 
I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't say. I mean, I've thought, I mean, things, there have been some moments where I've started, le I've leaned more towards the Canelo side of, of, of him winning this fight than ever before. Um, but those, those had to do less with Triple G's performances against Jacobs and a little bit against Brooke, more with the, that whole, that, the, the saga of the extra like three pounds of fat Triple G seemed to be carrying around his belly, uh, for much of the, the training process. It's, it's I, there. I, well, yeah, I mean, I got it, but you know, I'm 35 too. So I guess I should be a little easier on the man. Um, but he, uh, it just was, you know, it was a little alarming seeing him look different than we've ever seen before. And and do, do you chalk that up to him feeling he may have peaked early and and didn't wasn't his at his best in the ring against Jacobs or something like that, wanted to wait a little longer? That, I don't think it matters now because, he, you know, they tweeted, Tom Loeffler tweeted yesterday, Triple G is down to 164.5 pounds. The pictures of him look, of him looking quite, quite vascular and striated in the muscles and the <laughs> shoulder and, and, and forearm and bicep muscles. He looks like he's ready to fight. So I, I'm willing to, I'm ready to put that to bed. Um, maybe Canelo just has these flashier wins, you know, because he has been fighting guys who are easy to look good against ever since he started ducking uh, triple G. I, I, th I think that's fair. I mean, uh, this, Hasn't been the strongest buildup. Rafe, it's been decent, right? But you got two guys who don't talk a lot of trash. You know, the 24-7 episode, one was pretty good just in the sense of kind of outlining their backstory, specifically Golovkin's going to HBO, going to Kazakhstan, sort of filling in some of those blanks in the background. We're finally seeing it, though, and that's all that matters. That's kind of the real theme of the fight. Like, this fight has the potential to, to deliver inside the ring in ways, really, that other big pay-per-views the past four, five, six years and this tail end of the Mayweather run really haven't been able to do in terms of 50-50 matchmaking like we're seeing in this one, the potential for action, all of that. It started to get me thinking, Rafe, that, like, this is a pretty rare fight, right? Like, if you really compare it to the past 10, 15 years, recent history, and take into account everything on the table, the winner of this fight could potentially be your new pound for pound king, could, depending on how impressive the victory is. You have two guys who are two of the four or five biggest stars in the sport, a fight that means this much. Both are virtually undefeated, if not outright undefeated. Both still basically in their primes. You know, Glovkin at 35, but, you know, he didn't come to the U.S. till five years ago. He's still right in the middle of that prime. Let's compare this to recent memory. Is this the... I mean, what is a, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao, they were past their primes, right? It was pushed a little past. Other fights, even Ward Kovalev, may, meant a little bit more pound for pound, but didn't have the attention that this fight has. Can you name the last time we saw a fight that offered this perfect package across the board? I, I, I'm a little less, uh, you know, effusive about this whole thing than you are. I, I, this feels like the biggest fight of the year. Um, and, but it feels bigger. But, it feels like Hagler Hearns type, right? Like, like, if, I don't know. I, I mean, I wasn't around for Hagler Hearns, uh, or maybe I, maybe I was a couple years old. Um, but uh, no, it doesn't. It feels like the, it feels like I don't. Why is this any bigger than uh, any of the, any like like uh, Pacquiao Marquez three or four? I mean, at that point, they were both big stars and 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 fighting near the top of the sport. Um, why is it bigger than you know? Uh, Mayweather Canelo. Um, well, maybe why? let me say it like this. Maybe because Canelo, for having been a big star, and you can argue that he already accomplished this in the Cotto fight if you want to, and that's fine, has an opportunity to get a, a victory that provides him with such a high level of critical gain that would be the largest potential gain of any victory that he's had in his career. Like, this is his opportunity to go from, like, a giant pay-per-view draw who's had a really good career to, like, Mexican legend. And for Golovkin, yeah. on the flip side... 
unbeaten, but never got that breakthrough fight. This is finally that fight where he almost has to win to prove that he was the guy that we said he was the last five years. So when you look back in recent matchups, other fights don't really have that. Like even Mayweather Canelo was a giant buildup, but like Mayweather a little bit past his prime, Canelo a little bit before his prime. Even good fights like recently, like Thurman Garcia, Thurman Porter, not on the crossover level. Do we go back to like Mayweather Hatton? I mean, when was the last time we saw something like this? Uh, I mean, even Pacquiao Cotto, Cotto a little bit washed by that point, knocked out. I'm just saying that it's unique enough that what we do have to pause and just say like, this is a real gift. This is how it used to be. This is how it's supposed to be. And man, is this fight great outside of the regular, like, yeah, it should be a good fight. Let's enjoy it. You know, like this is really this is a Super Bowl. This is what boxing pay-per-view fights should be about. Not just let's put it on pay-per-view because our one cable network doesn't have the budget to pay for it. Like this is a showdown Super Bowl. I, I'm fired up. That's all I'm going to say. All right. I'm, I, I spilled the, the cup all over me. I'm fired up. All right. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that, and also the thing that that I was thinking while you were going through that is, this has the chance to set the table for boxing going forward. This is a fight that really does determine the next uh, a lot about the next couple of years in the sport, business wise, star power wise. I mean, if Canelo wins, then he is on the, you know, he's on the gravy train for for years maybe. If Triple G wins, that sort of that makes him the guy for as long as he can maintain. Uh, that competitive level. And that's certainly a, a good way to look at what's at stake here. As we get closer to sort of breaking down how this fight plays out, how does each guy win? There's a wild card here that we can't avoid. It's almost like I don't want to be the guy who says this just as much as I don't want to be the guy who doesn't say this and then watches it play out. But Eris Lendi Lara came out just a couple days ago and said to the media, you can't beat Canelo by decision in Las Vegas. And he said it as like a warning to Triple G. And, you know, I think... I don't even think you could beat Canelo by decision in Texas, by the way, just just if we're being honest. But are we fooling ourselves to believe that Triple G can win a decision here in a close competitive fight? I I think you'd be I think you're fooling yourself if you do not expect some level of, uh, you know, favoritism for Canelo, because he's had it in every fight in his career, including against Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, even even giving him four rounds like some of the judges did in that fight was ridiculous. Um, not to we're not even getting into CJ Ross's draw card there. So, yeah, Canelo seems to be spotted a few rounds in every fight. I think you could you that that's a factor here at the same time. Eris Landilara is, is saying something that's pretty self-serving, you know, to him there because it was a close fight. Eris Landilara did not really do a whole lot to make a statement and win that fight. That's fair. He, it, they, he fought a close fight, did not press much, and I think outboxed Canelo and probably deserved to win. But that's that that's not, I mean, you could lose a decision like that anywhere. Uh, and especially against a big star with that everybody's invested in, you know, that's not an easy way to win. Now, could I see Triple G knocking Canelo down a couple times, really dominating, but Canelo surviving and then winning a, a, a decision? Yes. I mean, I think it's there. Triple G has a different route to a uh, to a decision win over Canelo than, say, Lara did, who I don't think was likely to uh, score any knockdowns, uh, really dominate rounds, have Canelo look hurt. That's just, you know, it, it, can, we've, we've seen Lara. He doesn't really press the issue like that in, in big competitive fights. Uh, Triple G will. Um, and yeah, if it is a close fight where Triple G doesn't really make that statement, but it's close and it could go either way, I will fully expect Canelo to get the nod uh, because he's in Vegas, because he's Canelo, for all kinds of reasons. 
I'm really scared about that, to be really honest. Not to be that downer, not to be that conspiracy guy. I'm just scared just because Canelo's history that Triple G wouldn't get the fairest of shakes. But let's put that behind us here. What this fight really offers is a classic matchup of, you know, a straight-ahead attacker in Golovkin who tries to cut off the ring, work behind that jab, tries to corner you and land big combinations, and really a smart, cerebral, calculated counterpuncher, which is who Canelo sort of evolved into. I mean, it's perfect, perfect enough that I can't imagine a scenario, Rafe, where it doesn't entertain. Like, Kodo Canelo didn't bring the fireworks we expected, Still a pretty darn good boxing match in terms of it being competitive, in terms of the X's and O's and how it played out, a chess match to a certain degree. I don't see how this fight can be bad. Do you have any potential fears or misgivings on, on, on the entertainment level that we get? None whatsoever. I think you're right. The, the, the floor for this fight is very high, and it's, an in, it's, it's a slightly less action-packed version of what we, well, what we might get. You know, often, you know, big stakes – Good opponents, guys are a little more tentative. They don't go out there and and rush anything. So there may be some feeling out rounds. You know, uh, Triple G. We've seen him show more respect. He showed more respect to, to Danny Jacobs. Uh, whether that was him, you know, so perhaps as he says, trying to make that fight go longer and and convince you know Golden Boy to make the Canelo fight, or whether that was Jacobs doing something early that 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 earned that respect. Um, you know, we've seen uh, Triple G show respect to opponents who he thinks deserve it. Um, so, and I think that we may see some of that in this fight. It might be a little less action packed than than we. Uh, hope in our wildest dreams, but it would still, like you said, it would still be a great boxing match with plenty of action and a little bit of a chess match, which I don't think any of us would really uh, argue with if it turned out that way. Yeah, I think that's the best case scenario. They're so, they're, both guys are so poised. They don't get into those type of brawls. So, like, they would have to be knocked down multiple times and really be in fight or flight mode to bring out those type of balls. I mean, that's possible considering the punching power here, but we'll see. Rafe, let's look at how the fight plays out and ultimately our predictions here. I'm going to start off. I think Canelo is going to be better than I ever originally thought he could in this matchup. And here's the thing about Triple G. We know that he respects box, right? He also expects respects the power of his opponents. He went to a full jabathon against David Lemieux to smartfully avoid getting in a firefight and taking away Lemieux's one path at victory. I don't think he's going to just be reckless here. I think he's going to be very calculated. So that's going to allow Canelo a chance to let, to set up his shots and land the right counter shots because Triple G is going to respect his power, right? And as long as Triple G is respecting Canelo's power, I think it'll allow Canelo to sort of try to set him up in time those counter uppercuts that he does so well, those counter overhand rights. So I think it's going to be very calculated early, very much a chess match early. Ultimately, though, I think it's going to come down to Triple G's jab. If he can land it as a weapon and if he can use it to lower the output from Canelo, he's going to give him the best chance to win rounds and to win that decision in the end and not have a conspiracy or, or, or bad scorecard in the end. If he can get that jab off consistently and hit it with a thud, it's going to be a big plug for him. And I think he will. What I want to see is that moment when Canelo first tastes the big power because we just haven't seen Canelo in with a guy who punches bigger than him, with a guy who brings real danger. We saw Danny Jacobs taste that power and prove that his backbone was real and get up and fight his way back in. I really want to see what Canelo will have to do in that moment and how he'll respond and how he'll come back and will it turn into action from there. Ultimately, Rafe, 
I don't think either guy hits the canvas because I think Canelo's going to show us that he has a better chin than we think once he eats those shots. He's shown he's got a pretty good chin. It's got to be great against Golovkin. I have a feeling it will be great. And if it is great, it will, in my mind, turn into a physical chess match. And then in the end, if it does, outside of shady judging, I like my man Golovkin's jab. Because even though he didn't have a great plan B against Jacobs, and I felt like that's the reason why he let Jacobs back in, Canelo doesn't have Jacobs' athleticism, his reach, his ability to do some of the things that gave Gennady trouble. If Gennady's plan A is cut off the ring and use his jab and look to set up his right hand, I think ultimately that can work against Canelo. Unless Canelo hits him... Hard enough early to really make Gennady, like, lower his output. Ultimately, though, I think his jab can do that to Canelo. My prediction in the end is Gennady Golovkin by a very close unanimous decision. And this is me saying, hey, look, the shadiness not going to happen. For once, shadiness not going to happen. Give me Triple G by decision. There's a lot to uh, to respond to there. First of all, I think there's something with Canelo, although we, we've watched him look great, throw great combinations, look extremely sharp, can, really a beautiful boxer to watch is, is something he's developed into and actually always has been on some levels, but he's gotten even better. Uh, but we haven't seen it in contexts that are all that meaningful. We assume that Canelo has power because he throws good punches that land clean, uh, but he hasn't he hasn't knocked out or even hurt badly really elite opponents at at middleweight uh, or even guys with elite chins like Chavez. I mean, he teed off on Chavez for 12 rounds. Chavez never looked particularly rattled. Uh, he looked a lot of other bad things, but it, the power was not an issue. Uh, Miguel Cotto, a, a much smaller guy, uh, masquerading as a middleweight because he picked the belt up off of uh, <laughs> poor the carcass of Sergio's left knee or right knee. Um, uh, you know, Cotto, uh, he, you could tell that Cotto was cautious and felt Canelo's power, that if he had sold out, maybe he knew that he might get knocked out, he, that, that that was there. But the clean shots that Canelo landed were enough to win the fight, enough to look good. Didn't really, never had... Cotto in deep trouble. You know, there were ones that he reacted to. You could tell they landed well. Didn't didn't quite do that much. Then Canelo's chin is is just an open question. We have no clue. There's no one who has landed a good shot on him who really can tell us anything about that, unless you want to talk about uh Jose Miguel yeah, Cotto, Cotto. The, the, the younger brother 10 years ago. Um, but it just we don't know. So there's so much we we he Canelo is a little bit more that, that we just can't really tell what's going to happen. Uh, for me, the question in the fight that, that, that not just how will Canelo handle and respond to the power is really how is he going to get around the jab? Because I think you're right. I think that Triple G will try to use the game plan that he uses all the time, which is, you know, use that right, use that left jab and, and, and see, and Canelo will have to do something to make Triple G miss or to counter it, he'll have to figure out a way to throw counters over it, around it. Uh, he's got, you know, even though Canelo's shorter, he has a, a slightly longer reach than Triple G, so there's a chance he's got great timing. But if he doesn't, if he cannot stop Triple G from controlling him and basically moving him around the ring with that jab and setting up the power shots, he's he loses this fight by decision and probably by knockout. And wow. the ways that Danny Jacobs and the ways that Danny Jacobs and Kel Brook managed to frustrate. Triple G a little bit were by moving. They had the legs. They were able to, ch to change distance, get in and get out. 
Canelo, we've never seen him do that. We've never seen him turn on the ropes like that. He's got great waist movement. He he's, he can he faints well. But is he gonna be? Is he gonna do enough to keep Triple G from landing stuff on him? I don't think so. I don't think he's got the legs. I don't think he's ever fought that way. I think that it's gonna. I think that Triple G is gonna break him down. It will. I think it will look like the Lemieux fight. Uh, I think Canelo will look a little better than Lemieux, but ultimately be kind of flustered because he can't get through that jab, can't land clean stuff. And I think that eventually he gets broken down and and stopped, maybe in the eighth round. And I think that to reverse that scenario, you say. Canelo has to land something big, and it may come to the body. The body may be Canelo's avenue to be the front runner in this fight, to take the lead in this fight. I think, though, he's going to have to open himself up to big counterfire to do that, and I don't think he ultimately will. I think when he tastes that first shot from Golovkin, it's going to change. It's going to make him think and make him weigh it, and he's going to go back to boxing. That's what I think, personally, in the end. The, the two strong points, the things that worry me, that, th- that make me think Canelo has a good shot in this fight, one, he's a great, he is a very good body puncher, and when Danny Jacobs and, and Kel Brook and other guys have touched Triple G to the body, he has reacted. He's, we've seen him take backward steps after getting hit to the body. We don't see that when he gets hit in the head most of the time. Uh, so that's a good, that's a strong point for Canelo. The other one is that Triple G usually doesn't punch while his opponent is punching sure. at him. He doesn't punch at the same time. He'll let you get off and then take his turn. That worked for Danny Jacobs because Danny Jacobs could punch and get out of the way. I don't think Canelo has that movement. He's going to punch, and then he's going to have to deal with whatever Triple G throws back at him, and I think it's going to be too much. Can't wait to see how this fight plays out. Follow me on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Follow my man at Rafe Boogs. We will be in Vegas covering the fight. Follow us on social media. Follow our coverage. We'll be back next week to break this all down. Many thanks to our guest, Austin Trout, and many thanks to you, Rafe B. I'm fired up for this fight. You got two words for the people to leave them with? We out, Brian.